Randy for that. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be wrapping up our series on uh, stewardship and, and giving and, and uh, you know, those types of things. I would just, by way of reminder, let you know that your regular tithes and offerings can be placed in the plates in the back on your way out the door. Um, and don't forget, uh, we are taking, doing a little bit late, but taking some time to focus on the Eliza Brodus offering which is our state offering. Uh, we, we normally do that in September, but we were so focused on getting our mission team ready for Brazil and all that kind of went into that, that it kind of got, got put on the back burner. So we're going to focus on that here for the next few weeks. Um, that supports our state missionaries. Um, they do all kinds of tremendous work throughout the Commonwealth. Uh, it affects things like Oneida Baptist Institute, which our church has partnered with in the past. It also affects people like uh, Daryl and Sheila, who are Kentucky Baptist missionaries uh, serving at Clarity Solutions um, in, their, in the Haven. And so things like that are things that, that Kentucky Baptists do uh, throughout the Commonwealth. And just want to encourage you to prayerfully consider giving to that. Um, and you can do that both in person. We have envelopes available. You can also do that through our online giving. We're going to look at Romans chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. That's what we're going to read uh, this morning. But we are going to look at some of the verses surrounding there also as we uh, break down the text this morning. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And beginning in verse 20... Romans 15 says this, it says, And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on you or be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed company with you for a while. All right, you may be seated. Now, we're going to actually deal with a a significant portion of of the time around there. But I want to give you guys a little bit of history. You got a little history from from Randy this morning. I want to give you a little history as well. But this is going to be a little bit more recent history. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the Southern Baptist Convention, of which this church is a part, was founded in 1845. And Baptist churches gathered throughout the South, and they went to Georgia, and they gathered there um, and express, uh, to, to come together for, for a, a lot of different reasons. But the, the number one reason, the reason why they said they came into existence was to accomplish what they called one sacred effort. And that one sacred effort, as in their own words, was the propagation of the gospel. Now, we don't use the word propagation very much anymore, but what that means is the spreading of the gospel. 
And so when Southern Baptists came into existence, Baptist churches from all over the South came together, and and, and when they came together, they said, hey, if we're going to work together, if we're going to do things together, what is it we are coming together to do? What is our purpose? What is our mission? And they agreed that the, the Southern Baptist Convention was going to bind together, take all of these independent churches, and we still are an independent church that is freely come together for what but to make sure the gospel goes forth and goes everywhere it is because of the southern baptist conventions that that age other agencies came into existence first was the foreign mission board which is now known as the international mission board also the home mission board which is now known as the north american mission board the WMU, which didn't need to change its name because women usually get things right on the first try, um, as well as seminaries and other agencies and organizations, all for the purpose of seeing the gospel go forth. Now, it wasn't until 1926 that the Southern Baptist Convention came together and they, they, they began to realize that they needed a better way to accomplish their goal. See, up until 1926, all of the the churches would would meet and and hear from people from all these different agencies, whether it was the, back then it was the Foreign Mission Board or the Home Mission Board, and they would come and make their appeals to churches, and churches would all individually decide how they were going to give to each organization. And whether they gave to seminaries or gave to the Home Mission Board or the Foreign Mission Board or even one of their state conventions and their own kind of people around them and how they would do all of that. And and they, they became to the conclusion like, hey, what if we all came together and agreed about how we were going to kind of give the money and and, and sort out the money so that we no longer had to have all of these different things that we were giving to and we made it one thing that we gave to. And that they decided that it would be far more effective if the churches would budget a certain amount, a certain percentage of the regular tithes and offerings to be given for the purpose of seeing the gospel go forth. To be given for the purpose of supporting the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, and their state uh, conventions. And thus, the cooperative program was born. A lot of people who attend Southern Baptist churches, and if you don't attend business meetings and see the budget and and see all that stuff, you may have no idea what your money goes towards. And you may assume through that, that that your money is only going towards keeping the lights on in this building and making sure my family doesn't starve to death, which we appreciate. However, today, every Southern Baptist church, including Tunnel Hill Baptist Church, actually gives a portion of every dollar that gets put into the offering plate for the purpose of sending, equipping, and supporting missionaries in our state, in North America, and throughout the world. Along with that, your tithes and offerings go to support organizations like Lifeway, not the store that we used to have over in the shopping center, but the place that we get those Sunday school materials and a lot of other materials that we're given, as well as supporting our seminaries like Southern Seminary up in Louisville, of which I was a participant and a student there, as well as Joe. And we've had several others through here as well. 
The cooperative program serves as a reminder that our regular tithes and offerings do more than just support the local church and the local church staff. On the contrary, it supports the kingdom work throughout the entire world. At the heart of this is the belief that we can do more together as churches, individual churches, autonomous churches coming together than we could ever hope to do separately. It may seem impossible, (coughs) excuse me, for a church like ours to independently send a missionary into the mission field. But as a part of the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention, we participate in sending missionaries everywhere. And when we look at our passage today, we see the earliest ideas of what the cooperative program would ultimately ultimately become. In our passage today, we find Paul preparing for his first trip to Rome. And I I love this because this is a congregation. I want you to think about this for a moment. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Paul does not know anybody at the church in Rome, or he doesn't know that church. He did not help plant it. He's never been to Rome. He may have, have discipled some of the people that ultimately ended up in Rome, but that is not his, that is not a church that he planted. It is not like Ephesus. It is not like Corinth. It is not like the churches in the region around Galatia. On the contrary, these are people where other people have gone and found themselves in the capital in Rome and have preached the gospel and made Jesus known among that city and a church has come into being. But Paul hopes to go to them. And not simply because he wants to see them and see what their church is like and see where they're gathering and who's all a part of it, but instead he has a desire to meet them, to encourage them, as well as to receive support from them as he desires to go share Christ in Spain. It is in these very verses that Paul communicates the missionary task and how churches like ours can support missionaries along the way. Let's start by looking at the missionary task. This is what Paul is hoping to accomplish. And even within the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board, we talk about this idea of the missionary task. It begins in our passage where it says that Paul desires to preach where Christ has not already been named. Now, when we think about what this means, we can begin to understand like what Paul is dealing with. Now, I want you to remember for just a second, Paul has been, this is, this is one of the last letters that Paul writes. It's certainly kind of the last one that's to a whole church. Some of the individual letters to Timothy and all those are, are probably older than this one, but, but Paul is in the latter parts of his ministry life. He has gone on his first and on his second missionary journeys and he has established all of these churches so much so that he is looking at the region around Jerusalem and going north all the way into Turkey and and just kind of all of those areas and he is seeing how churches have been planted, they've been established and they are doing their thing and he is at a point where he is ready to go into new and we might jokingly say uncharted territories for the church. The passage even points out that he's been from uh, Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And that's how you say it. I looked it up because I had no idea. From, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And Illyricum is one of the northernmost parts in that area of the Roman Empire. 
And so he is, he's kind of doing that as to say, you know, we might say from, from uh, Paducah to the mountains, you know, something like that, where he's saying this whole big area, we've covered it all. And he's realizing that he's covered this area and he's covered the region. And so he's wanting to go someplace new. Not only has he done this, but also we have to acknowledge that the other disciples and that the church as a whole has been going forth. Even before Paul was converted to Christianity, that there were people, there were followers of Jesus that were going into new cities, into new places, and they were taking the name of Jesus with him. These churches are established They're doing the work of ministry. They are sharing the good news within their community and even spreading into new communities. And because of all of this, God is calling Paul to go somewhere to do a new work, to not build upon the work of others, but to lay a new foundation for a new congregation in a new place. This new foundation that he is talking about includes going into a new community, evangelizing this new community, discipling them as followers of Jesus. And he, he's longing for that. He's looking for that opportunity. And so he's quite literally saying, hey, I want to come to you in Rome. I've never been that far west, but then I want to go beyond Rome. I want to go on all the way to Spain. And I imagine even in this conversation, Spain to him represents the end of the earth because, you know, if we don't count Portugal, what's beyond Spain? Water. And so he's saying, I want to go all the way. I want to take Jesus all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. Because at that time, that was the end of the known world. And he wants to go and he wants to establish new places, going in, sharing Christ, and and, and discipling people that they might be followers of Jesus. But the missionary task is more than just winning converts. So often when we think missionaries, we think just people that are going in with, with Bible tracts and, and whatnot, and all they're doing is trying to get people to pray a prayer and, and, and maybe get baptized. But it's actually so much more than that. In fact, Paul's goal is not just to win converts, but to establish churches. Churches that do not need an apostle or someone else constantly checking in on them, but that are able to do the work of ministry on their own. Paul actually references this when he talks about the church in Rome just a few verses earlier in verse 14. Look at verse 14 just a second. It says this, he says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to admonish one another. That, I'm going to say something, from Paul, that's a compliment. This is the same guy that said, oh, you foolish Galatians. I'm amazed at how quickly you went away from the gospel. This is a guy that does not pull any punches, and he's saying, I am confident that you are full of goodness and knowledge and that you are able to admonish one another, that you are able to to disciple one another and talk to one another and minister to one another. The Roman church was a church that could exercise discipline, discern truth from from error, and disciple others well. This is a good church. It's not a perfect church, bear in mind. And if you're looking for the perfect church, you have definitely come to the wrong, wrong place. They weren't a perfect church, but they were a church that could at the very least, they were mature enough and they were growing in such a way that they were not only able to, to recognize truth from error, to teach what is right and good and recognize when things are wrong, but even to go out and to establish new churches. 
They were capable and able and actually doing the fulfillment of the Great Commission without the support of others. See, the goal of the church is actually not only to win, or, or the missionary task is not only to win converts, but also to establish healthy churches and develop leaders that can do these very things. Paul has also experienced this where he is working in all of these other places. If we go to verse 23 and verse 28 as well in this passage, you can see that, that he is among churches. Verse 23 says, there's now no further place for me uh, in this region. Verse 28 says, I have finished what I have done and I have put my seal on the fruit of theirs. Talking about other churches in the region where he is. These other churches had come to a place where they were not only established and able to minister to themselves, but they were even able to start taking care of other people. Because of this, what we recognize from verse 28 is that he was ready to move on. And, these, and the missionary task ultimately involves saying, okay, this church is established on to the next work. He was ready to exit, to leave these churches, to do the work, with only the occasional letter or the occasional encouragement from one of the disciples. See, this is what the fulfillment of the Great Commission looks like. And let me read for you Acts 1.8 just by way of reminder. Jesus says to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Paul understood that in order for the, the good news of the gospel, in order for the witness that he had to reach these remote parts of the earth, these ends of the earth, depending on your translation, that he had to move on. And he had to go where Jesus had not been named. And so he was preparing and he was getting those churches ready and preparing even to go through Rome on his way to Spain to do this very thing, to fulfill the Great Commission. Makes me wonder for just a moment if there is not some in this room that are called to do this very same thing. I will never forget attending a seminary chapel when I was up at Southern. And the president of a southeastern seminary was uh, giving the chapel service that morning. And I'm I'm a I'm a traveler. You guys know this because I like to. I, you know, we go to Brazil and and all that type of stuff. And some of you who really know me, it's because I like food and I like eating other people's food. And I've always I've always wanted to go to the next place. And I've always wanted to travel. And at one point in my life, I thought, you know, North Carolina would not be a bad place to live. And <laughs> you, is, that, is that an amen? I said, North Carolina would not be a bad place to live. I said, you live in one state, there's mountains on one side and there are beaches on the other. That sounds pretty nice. I know they can cook. So I, and I would have been praying about that and, and been thinking about that. And rest assured, this was many, many years ago. And uh, I was at a, that seminary thing. And the president of Southeaster was speaking. And at one point he finally said, he said, did you know that there are over 5,000 Baptist churches in the state of North Carolina. And I was like, that's a, lot, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of places I could apply to. That's not what I really thought, but we'll, for the sake of story. He said, did you know there's only 5,000 Christians in Turkey? He said, I have all of these people come to my seminary from North Carolina. And when we ask them, what do you want to do? And they say, well, I want to come here. I want to get my education. And then I want to go back home. 
and pastor a church back home. He said, there are 5,000 churches in North Carolina. There are 500 Christians in Turkey. Where do you think you're needed most? And that hit me hard. And that is one of the many reasons why God has called me to stay put in the work of ministry that I do here. But we have to remember, see, there would have been a very huge temptation for Paul to say, okay, I've got all these churches established in the region. Now I can stay put, put out fires when I need to, and be able to settle down. But that's not what he said. He said the Great Commission is not over. And the task is not complete. And if things are established here and I'm not needed here, I am needed there. And so he began making plans to go there. What about you? Rest assured, not everybody in this room is called to go wherever there may be. But if there's 80 to 100 people in this room, it stands to reason that someone is. Is God calling you to go there? Whether there is across the street or across the globe. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it means to... to so we have the missionary. We have the missionary task to go and to... to uh, go into a new area to share the gospel, to disciple believers, to establish a church, to uh, develop leadership and, and, and to, to get them healthy and then ultimately to, to really leave and, and leave those people to, to be there and, and leave with, with some partnership, leaving with some, some still availability to them, but to leave. What does that mean for the local church? Because this is what Paul is called to do, but this is not necessarily what he's telling the church in Rome to do. So what is the local church's role in the, in the missionary task? Well, let's start by those who stay. Because not everyone is called to, to get on an airplane and move to another country. Not everybody's even called to get on an airplane. How does the church support the missionary and support the missionary task even when they are called to stay? Well, the first answer is an obvious answer, but not one we should overlook. And the first thing we are called to do is to pray. Go all the way down in our chapter to, ver to verse 30. In verse 30, we read this. It says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. To the, the thing, the number one thing that, that, that Paul was asking Rome to do at this moment, at this time, he says, hey, he says, my work is done in this region, but before I come to you, I have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to deliver a gift. I'm going to deliver support for the, the Christians in Jerusalem, and I need you to pray for me. To pray that, that, that God will, will be with me, that God will protect me. And, and, and specifically, he's just saying, I want God to, to be there with me and I need you to pray with me as I am praying with me. 
We see this throughout the letters of Paul. In fact, elsewhere in the scriptures, Paul asked for prayer from churches that he might be bold in his proclamation of the gospel as well being clear in his presentation of the gospel. Paul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that all of his work was powered not by his intelligence, not by his strength, not by his, his ability, not by his tent making, but his ministry was powered by prayer. Brothers and sisters, we as the church here should be praying for our missionaries throughout the state, the nation, and the world. When we have things like the week of prayer for Eliza Brodus or the week of prayer for Annie Armstrong or Lottie Moon, when we take time to pray in our, in our prayer groups on, on Tuesday morning for the guys and Thursday evening for, for the ladies, or when we all pray together on Wednesday night, we should be praying for our missionaries. We should pray for our missionaries that we learn about because of Vacation Bible School. We should pray for our missionaries that we learn about as we do videos and and learn about all the things for the special offerings. We should pray for, quite literally, our missionaries. As we have people that we have come alongside, that we have partnered in Indianapolis and in Brazil, here in in Hardin County, Kentucky, and, and throughout the Commonwealth, going from the mountains all the way to Paducah. We should pray generally and we should pray specifically. But we should pray because it is through those prayers that the Holy Spirit moves in ways far beyond that we could could possibly even understand. Amen? Thank you. It is easy to overlook prayer. And yet we see consistently in the scriptures one of the last words that Paul leaves the churches with almost every time is pray for me. Beyond prayer, we are asked to give. Verse 24, I want you to notice this. He says this, he says, Whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. See, this was part of the whole thing. Paul knew or he knew that he was not going to be able to make that whole journey with what maybe he had collected or what he already had on him, that, that a trip from, from Jerusalem all the way to Spain would not only take an unbelievably large amount of time, but also a significant amount of money along the way. And he was counting on the church in Rome to not only support him uh, emotionally and spiritually, but most certainly to support him financially and with resources that he needed. We, as the local church, can give and support them on their way. We do this through our regular tithes and offerings. As we have already mentioned, that, that we do this through uh, that, that cooperative program that I mentioned at the beginning. Did you know that, that every, for every dollar that comes in to our church, 8.5% of our total budget, of our total giving, immediately goes towards the cooperative program? And supports our missionaries in the state and, and, and in North America and throughout the globe. That doesn't even count what we do in our actual community here, which is another 3% that stays right here in our association. It is bigger than just this building. We also do that through our special offerings, through Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, which is Lottie Moon is our Christmas offering, Annie is our Easter offering, and Eliza Brodus that we are focusing on right now. When we give, when we support financially, we are helping people like Paul on their way to share the gospel with others. 
If we can't go, then let us commit to give. One other thing we can do for our missionaries in, in a way to support them, even as we stay there, is to welcome them and support them when they are stateside, when they are in our midst and in our congregation. 24B, it goes on to say, it says, when I have, he says, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped by you on my way, uh, helped by you on my way there. And then he goes on to say, and when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. See, his plan was not just to stop off and say, hey, I need some money, get, and then run off the thing. He says, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to be there with you a while. I'm going to enjoy your company. I'm going to enjoy your fellowship. I'm going to be not only uh, financially supported by you and encouraged by you, but I'm going to be spiritually and, and, and emotionally supported by you. And we're going to care about you and extend the hand of friendship to you and, and just enjoy my time with you. We have been so blessed in this church over the past several years to have missionaries and families who've actually got to come and worship with us. You remember the Roys being with us on Palm Sunday just a few months ago, not only just enjoying fellowship with us, but, but also getting to enjoy some of the things we do, like an Easter egg hunt. I have heard over and over again from the Roy family that their youngest son, Mateus, had never in his life experienced an American Easter egg hunt. It's just not a thing in Brazil. And he has spent almost his entire life there. And so for him to get to come and be a part of it, he loved it. And along with that, the, the two older siblings got to help hide eggs and just be a part of the whole, uh, the whole experience. And that they as a family loved it. And for us, we're just doing our thing. But for them, it was such a blessing and an encouragement. Several years ago, Stan and Wendy were stateside and they came to enjoy time with us. And I think Stan spoke on that time as well. And when he came in, several of our church members, people that are still in the congregation today, were baptized. And we saw, I think, five or six people get baptized on a Sunday. And Stan and Wendy just happened to be here. And, and Stan afterwards came up to me and he said, I have been working in Brazil for years. And I think I have seen maybe five or six people baptized in over a decade of ministry. And to come here and see six people get baptized at once just brought joy to my heart. I don't think you guys understand what a blessing this church has been to our mission partners. And I say that, and I say that to, to your encouragement. You guys are doing wonderful things. Just a few months ago in August, we loaded up a church van and went on up to Indianapolis on really late notice to support them on their party on the lawn. And let me tell you, when we showed up, they were so excited. Because us being there, and, and Mike was with us, and Audrey was with us, and, and when we were there and that we showed up, we, we took a lot of jobs off of them so that they could just talk to the students and engage with the students. And I cannot tell you how many times people that were there, that, that served there, that were on staff there said, we cannot express how much we appreciate you guys coming up. See, when we love our missionaries... And just encourage them while they're here. It does wonders for them as they go and continue on. And I challenge us to continue to do these very things. We spend time with them when they come, enjoying meals and, and things that we do in the church. 
we meet needs, whether it's a, a car repair or, or just financial support as they come and speak. Our churches even had the blessing of connecting other churches to our missionaries. Because we served in Brazil and we served in Indianapolis, then eventually Indianapolis started also serving in Brazil. Even this last trip took place because there was another church in Kentucky that said, we want to come, we want to experience what you're doing in Brazil, but we're scared to go on our own. Is there a church that will go with us? And we got to be, be that church. And we got to come alongside their people and help them along the way and encourage them and, and just be there for them. And we get, get our, helped them establish that relationship. It is amazing what the church can do to support missionaries. I want to read to you from 3 John, and technically 3 John doesn't have chapters, but we'll say 3 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says this, it says, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, especially those who are strangers. And they have testified of your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. We, uh, not everybody's called to go. But that doesn't mean we don't have a, a, a responsibility for those who are called to go. And when we support them, and, and, and notice how it says that when you when you faithfully acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren and whatever we do when we do it we take part in the work they are doing so the local church can stay but support by giving and support by 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 uh praying and, and support by being hospitable and taking care of them when they're stateside or when they're in our midst but also the local church can go what do we mean by that? Look at verse 25. He says, but now, this is Paul talking about what he's doing. I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Paul is going to the church in Jerusalem to serve the, the believers that are there. He's particularly bringing a love offering to them to support them. We can also, like Paul, go to our missionaries on the field in order to support them and help them do the things that God has burdened their heart with. Our opportunity this last uh, month to go and support our, our missionaries in Brazil allowed us to go to a church there to do big things and allow them to dream big so that they might minister to the community specifically for, in our case, in their schools and enable them to do works that they may not have previously been able to do. We also, as we are there, refresh and encourage them. I'm reminded about what Paul said about a, a, a man may, named Oniphorus. And it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Oniphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and he found me. And so we see even in this passage what it means to go to our missionaries and go to them and to encourage them and bless them and support them. We go onto the mission field, not because we want to share the gospel necessarily with 3,000 people, though that would be excellent, but we go just to support our missionaries and to say, hey, how can we help you? How can we be there with you to enjoy meals with them and fellowship and, and, and to and pray for them and encourage them? 
It was a tremendous blessing this last time as we were saying our final goodbyes to Joshua and his family at the First Baptist Church of, of Garibaldi. And then we were the first mission team from America who had ever come to their church to help them do things. And as we left, they gave us each a, a, a personal note and, and, and just wanted to tell us what, what a blessing it had been and how encouraged they were to know that there were churches in, in the United States of America that cared about them and wanted to see them be fruitful for the sake of the gospel. Not only do we go but we also send. You may ask, what's the difference between going and sending? And I'll put it simply this way. Going means on a mission trip. We go to our missionaries. We go to our church partners in other countries or in other states. And we visit and we spend a time and we do a work with them. Sending is releasing our church members to be missionaries themselves. As I've already mentioned, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that not everyone here is called to be a missionary, but somebody is. And I don't know how God is calling you personally today. But if God's calling you to mission, I don't want you to feel like you have to leave this church in order to go to mission. I want you to feel like this church is going to be the place that sends you. And it may be through the International Mission Board or the North American Mission Board, but we're your sending church. And we want to encourage you, and we want to equip you, and we want to support you when you're on the field. And I don't know who that might be, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that God does speak to you, and He does send you. And I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. I don't even know why. I think I'm tired, but it might be something else. Anyone in this room, I can't even read my notes anymore. My goodness, what's wrong with me? Anyone in this room could be a missionary on the field. A statement that we heard over and over and over again when we were in Brazil was, oh my goodness, they look just like us. So often when we think of missionaries, we think of Tracker Jack at Vacation Bible School. Some guy in khaki shorts and boots wearing some Australian outback hat going into the, the jungles of Africa. But missionaries are people like you and I who've had very normal jobs, who've had very normal upbringings and educations, and they just get a burden on their heart that there are lost people that need to hear about Jesus. And one day they finally say, I'm going. And they go. Anyone in this room could be a missionary. If God lays that on your heart. And I would challenge you today. If, that's, if you're that someone, and it may not, you may not know you're that someone today. You may not find out you're that someone for a year, two years, five years, ten years. But if God lays you on that heart, church, those of us that are going to stay, we need to be praying for these people. We need to be praying that God is clear with them, that God raised them up, that God directs them to the mission field that they're supposed to go. And we need to be doing all those things we mentioned, praying for them, supporting them financially and supporting them emotionally and incarnationally, meaning showing up. The last thing we can do is welcome. 
And you may be thinking to yourself, Pastor, you already said that, and you're right. But there's two kinds of welcoming. First, we welcome our missionaries when they're home or when they come to be in our congregation. But the other thing is we have to recognize that the nations are coming to us. And even as we are gathered here in Hardin County, there are people throughout this county who in their homes speak a completely different language than what we speak in our homes. They speak Spanish. They speak Arabic. Farsi, German, Korean, Chinese. Various languages throughout Indonesia. And they're here. And they're getting an education or they're working. Many of them have very tight-knit communities. And you may know they're here, but you may have never actually spoken to ones. But brothers and sisters, the nations have come to Hardin County. And the church, and I dare say Tunnel Hill Baptist Church, should be on the front line to welcome them, to love them, to encourage them, and to share Christ with them. Which means first we've got to find them. And you may say, how do we do that? Well, English as a second language classes is probably a good place to start. And in your kid's school and in my kid's school and even at ECTC, there are people that are trying to learn English. And we can go be there. We can encourage them. We can invite them into our homes for meals. We can invite them on the 4th of July for cookouts. It's hayride season. And allow them to be a part of our life and allow us to be a part of their life and to share Christ with them. I was challenged not that long ago as I was reading a book where a student at a university had said that they felt particularly called to go to China and to share the gospel in China. And when they were talking to this, I think it was a young lady, they asked her, well, are there Chinese people at your college? And they said, she said, yes. And she goes, well, do you talk to them? And she goes, well, they're over on the other side of campus and they kind of keep to themselves. And, and so I've never really talked to them. And they said, why is it that you want to fly halfway around the world to witness to Chinese people in their home country and you won't even go across campus to witness to Chinese people on your campus? And I think we need to take that to heart and say, why are we gung-ho to go across the country and, or across the world and witness to people in Brazil or, or China or the Middle East or, or even in Central and South America, but we're not willing to go over to the college and be a witness for Spanish-speaking people that have come into our country? I know I'm convicted by that. And you guys know me. I'm going to stir the pot. And I have every intention of going over to the college. In fact, I was at the trunk or treat yesterday and got to have a conversation with the president of ECTC. And because of seven years of work with BCM, I think that maybe, just maybe, God will open up a door for me to go and be a part of something like English as a second language. And I would love for someone to come with me. We pray, we give, we go, we support, 
we send, we welcome. Every single person in this room has a part to play in the missionary task. What is yours? I pray that God reveals that to you. Let's pray. My God, my exceeding joy. Lord, I thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you so much to be a part of a church that does missions. And God, I praise you for each and every person here because I see in each and every person here how they support the, the, the mission work that, that, that we do as a church. But God, it's not our mission work, it's your mission. And we're just one church trying to be a part of your great redemption story. Lord, I praise you for, for each and every church member here as they, as they are a part of the missionary task. Lord, I pray, praise you for the ones that pray. I praise you for the prayer warriors. And God, I know that there are people in this group that they pray and they pray diligently and their prayers are powerful. And I have never ceased to be amazed at how often you answer our prayers in ways beyond what we could even imagine. Lord, I praise you for our prayer warriors. God, I praise you for our givers. And Lord, I know that, that all of us are called to give of our, our tithes and offerings, but God, I praise you for, for those who faithfully give, and I praise you for those who, who faithfully and generously give over and beyond, who sacrificially give because they believe in what you are doing through the nations. Lord, I praise you for them and how they give, and how they support, and how they support not only this church, but, but even this church as it participates in the work to the nations. God, I praise you for those who go. And Lord, I know that there are many in this room. Some have gone to Brazil, and, and, and some have gone into Central America, and over into Eastern Europe, and, and so many other places, Lord. And I praise you for them. Lord, I thank you that we have those that are willing to give up their, their vacation or their, their breaks. They're willing to give up their safety and security. They're willing to endure uncomfortable plane rides and, and strange food and, and often uh, late nights and early mornings to go and to be where our missionaries are. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of them. Not just those that have gone in the last year, but those who have gone throughout the history of our church. Lord, I praise you that we want to be a sending church. And God, I know that there are people in this room that are burdened to be sent. And God, I praise you for them. I praise you because you put a, a love in them for the nations that they would go and be a witness to the nations. And Lord, I pray that you fan that flame and that you let it burn so brightly that they cannot imagine anything else that they would do in the world than to share Christ with people who need to hear it. And God, I praise you that we're going to be a church that when that day comes and when they walk that aisle, Lord, that we're going to send them. And God, I praise you that we are a welcoming church. I have been told so many times by so many people, including our missionaries, of the love they experience when they come here. 
and people who don't know the gospel who are coming here maybe scared out of their mind to sit in church for the first time in a long time. And God, that they feel so much love and support and care while they are here that they keep coming. And God, I praise you for that. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to stir up a spirit of hospitality in this place so that we may love our missionaries well, but Lord, that we might also love our community well. And especially love the the new people of our community, those that are coming here from outside of E-Town, outside of Hardin County, outside of, of the borders of our country. And God, I pray that we would welcome them as well, even if it means welcoming them not just into our church building, but into our home and into our lives. God, thank you for being a wel- making us a welcoming church. But God, I ask you today. In fact, God, I beseech you today to raise up workers for the harvest. And God, whether those workers are here to pray, to give, to go, to send, or to welcome, God, I pray that you would raise people up those who are sent and those who send, those who give and those who go, those who pray and those who welcome. God, that you would raise up more and more people in this church so that we might see the great commission fulfilled. And God, that whatever part in your great redemptive story that you have planned for this church, that we might do it and do it diligently and do it with all of ourselves. Lord, if you are calling someone in this room to be a part of this great missionary story, but it needs to start with their own salvation, God, I pray that they would choose today to give their life to Jesus. And for the rest of us, God, I pray that you would just reveal your heart for us and how we may all, each as members of this church, play our part in this one sacred effort. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.